the Youth Huddle is brought to you by FIH Academy, thehockeyside.com and the members of the EHF Youth Panel. Episode 3 from the Year of the Youth Huddle will bring us two incredible players, Kyla Rebecki from Argentina and Tom Craig from Australia. But we're just going to dive right in with uh, these two incredible speakers. Uh, we're just going to do a quick introduction round, um, maybe telling who you are, where you're from, and what you do. We always do a uh, ladies first, so Carla. Okay, well, I'm Carla Rebecki. I'm a hockey player. Well, I don't play anymore, team, but I play for 16 years for the national team from Argentina. I retired before the Tokyo Olympics. I was planning to go, but then more year in town, so I decided to dedicate to my family that I have a, a three-year-old daughter, so uh, I, I decided to stay with her. And actually, uh, I'm playing in Belgium in the Royal Antwerp Hockey Club. It's my second year. I'm, uh, I'm Tom Craig. I'm from Australia. Um, I'm not as quite a big deal as Carla, and I've, I've played for the national team for seven years. 16 seems like a little bit too long for me, but... Um, Anyway, play for Australia. Here I'm in Holland for my first season um, at KZ, Klein Switzerland, in The Hague. Um, I'm loving it. Uh, and, yeah, hopefully we can have some fun today. Fantastic. Thanks for introducing yourselves. Um, our first question then, uh, Carla, you've kind of touched on it, um, playing life balance. Um, so obviously, um, as an athlete, train, you play, uh, you get petitions. But outside of playing, what are your hobbies um, and how do you balance the two? And why is it so for young people to get the balance of both? Uh, it's, a, it's a good question, I think. Uh, for me, it was always really difficult, that balance. You know, we, we are used to it a lot. We train every day of the whole year and we train twice a day. And I started very young in the national so. I was struggling a bit, like with study. I, I started studying. There were so many hours training that it was really difficult. So it was a bit hard that moment. But I think it was really important uh, to do other things uh, after hockey because if not, it was all the time you were like focused hockey and you need to to clear your mind a bit. So I always tried to study. I never career uh, of this. It was really difficult, but. I always did it also because I needed for for my my head to do an extra thing. Um, so I think it's it's good to have other things. I I really like uh, to do a lot of sports. So when I have also time or in holiday more because I'm training I can, but I, I like so uh, and well, when I'm training just relax and more rest a bit also. Yeah, I think um, if I could just jump in there as well. It's easy to just think about hockey all the time, especially A, when you're young and you're trying to make it, but B, also with the international season, it's so long um, and you could easily go for 16 years never really having a proper break from hockey. So it's quite important to, to make time for yourself and to, um, to make those own breaks yourself, like as Carla said, playing a different sport or studying or something like that because, um, yeah, it's easy to just kind of get swept up in the, in the whole hockey thing and also... Um, when things are going well with hockey, it's not so bad, you know, like you can do only hockey because it's going really well and things are good, but that's not really elite sport. Sometimes um, things don't go well, you have injuries or um, anything really could happen. So if you don't have something else there, it's easy to 
um, just kind of go into a bit of a spiral and just try and like focus more on hockey and more on hockey. But if you already have something to the side, it's not so bad just to like park hockey, like relax, don't worry about it too much and, and do other things. Um, it's so important. And in Australia, it's kind of similar. So we, we all moved to Perth. Most of us are from the east coast of Australia and we moved to Perth. Um, I was uh, 19 when I moved to Perth and probably for the first few years didn't quite have that balance right. Um, I think like I always studied, but for me, like a, a social life and just completely forgetting about hockey and having friends who have nothing to do with hockey or don't care or anything like that um, is so important. So, um, yeah, if you if you move cities like in Perth, it's you move for hockey, so it's easy to, to just have hockey friends and all that sort of thing. And that's a constant battle, I think, for people um, coming to Perth is trying to find something outside and um, and stick to it. So, um, yeah, it's it's so important and you, you don't know how important it is until things start going not quite so well with hockey. So I would encourage everyone to have something or as many things as possible outside of hockey to, to enjoy. Perfect. Um, then why do you guys um, prefer to uh, be a top-level hockey player? Why, what's your motivation? Why do you be it? Um, I think that when when I started playing hockey, I never thought about it. I just like playing hockey and I enjoy it. Uh, I made friends in my club. And really nice. I think I always had like a dream that I, I saw that, okay, I would like to wear the Argentina shirt and represent my country. I think it was like a dream I had when I was young. Uh, so that's why then when I start growing up, I say, okay, well, if I want to get there, I have to train more. I have to do more things to get there. So I think then I, it was like, it's like a style of life that you choose to be there because I really like and I love hockey. I think it's the thing I like to do most in my life. So that's why I want to, to do it at, at that level as in my country. That is really nice. It's an honor to wear uh, the Argentina sh shirt and a lot of our Yeah, I think for me, um, as Carlos said, you don't really decide to be an elite hockey player when you first start playing hockey. Like it's um, it's just fun. And I think the thing that's always kept me playing hockey was more um, just the friends that I had at, at my club. Um, and that's kind of what gets you through like your high school, primary school, those sorts of things because people start going off and playing different sports and anything could have happened. Um, I think, yeah, most Australian kids play a lot of different sports. So it's not necessarily that. Um, Yeah, hockey was the, the one that I liked the most, which I did though. I did like it the most. But also like my friends were, yeah, I, I really I really liked just going to training and hanging out with them and, and that sort of thing. Um, and it kind of like, yeah, I'm not sure how it works in Argentina, but it happens quite quickly once you start, um, once you kind of get identified. As I said, like, yeah, both of us, I think, were quite young. So like 19, I just, just finished high school and was in my first year of uni and was thinking about a lot of other things other than hockey. Um, and then all of a sudden you kind of get called to, to play for Australia. So it's like um, it's it's not really much of a choice at that time. It's like, wow, I'm 19. I just got picked to play for Australia. Like who wouldn't go and do that? Um, and I think um, even though I didn't think I was going to be there for too long, I was just kind of thinking, yeah, I'll play play hockey for a couple of years, try and go to the Olympics. And if that doesn't happen, move back to Sydney and start um, doing other things. Once you're in that environment, it's very um, – Like it's infectious, like you love it. Everyone's working so hard and, and the guys on my team are, are the best and some of my best mates now. So um, you just kind of really get hooked on coming to training with other people and then competing in front of crowds and stuff. It's difficult to walk away from that um, too early and, and without seeing kind of where it goes. So, yeah, I, I love it. 
Fantastic. Uh, if there is anyone who would like to uh, share their answer uh, on the question, please don't be shy. Jump stage, raise your hand, or just put it in the chat, and then we'll pick it up. We're just going to start with the first question. Uh, the hockey is a team sport, so the bond among your teammates is very special at the game. What are you guys doing when your team bond among the teammates is broken? Do you want me to start? Yeah, if you want to. Um, fortunately, I think with with our team uh, in Australia at the moment, we haven't had to had to deal with something like this. But definitely, what we say um, is like team culture is seven times more important than the game plan. So, um, and I like I'm I'm not a maths person, and maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration. But really, like how everyone feels about each other, um, I think is super important. And you can kind of tell with teams that aren't really on the same page. It usually translate to the translates to the pitch, so um, that's definitely something that that we take really good care of and make sure that we're um, first and foremost working together well. Um, you're not going to be best friends with everyone in your team, but um, if you can have at least like a good working professional relationship um, with everyone on your team and just know a little bit about them, and and I think most importantly is probably just understanding everyone to a certain extent. So then you can like figure out um, if they're not on their best, at their best um, at training one day or, or how best to kind of have, have hard conversations with them because in high performance it's really important to have an open channel of communication with each other and if you don't really understand each other very well then it's difficult to do that. So um, like as for teams actually being broken, I think the work is probably beforehand to make sure that it doesn't happen so much. You're going to have fights and arguments and stuff, but as long as there's a good base before that, um, you can kind of avoid having big team fractures, if that makes sense. Carla, do we have anything to add? Or oh, I think I, I, I agree and, and have like some break like that, but uh, I think it's really important. Well, we, we, we used to do something with like, coaching kind of stuff. Also in the clubs I, I played, we do those activities and uh, team activities. I think they are really good and get to know each other. And I, I, I think we, you have to be really tolerant in a team. You, you travel a lot, you share a lot of time with them, or like more with, with than with your family. So you are not going to be best friends, as Tom say, but you have to, to get along well and try to, to make it work. Fantastic. Um, so then instead of sort of like the team... Um, what makes a good player? What do you think a player, or why do you think you are some of the best international? Um, I think uh, it's for me in, in my case. I think it's really important what it worked for. I really trained very hard when I was young. I was like in the youth. I wasn't really a, a very good player. I was. I had a my quality was that basically I was very fast. I could run very fast, and that was my strong point. But I wasn't really school. Uh, as I was so fast, I never trained or so much my, my skills. So when I get to the national team and I started comparing or watching other players, I said, OK, if I need to be here or still be here, I need to do more. I need to train more. So I think there I, I started to train my, my, my individual part and I started training a lot. And I think for me, that was the, the thing it worked to, to get to be a... A complete player and have everything on science, but important that, that you train and you improve when you practice, 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 and you get to have those qualities. For me, it worked for like that and like training, and I dedicated a, a lot of time uh, to it. When I went to play abroad the first time in Spain, I had a lot of time, so the balls alone and train. I think that was key for me. 
Yeah, I really like what Carla said. The, another point is um, when you train, I think, uh, especially when you're a bit younger, sometimes you can just kind of go to training because training is on. But um, I think what I maybe figured out a little bit later was um, how to train. So you could stand on the pitch for two hours and not really achieve anything or you could go to the pitch for 25 minutes and um, really focus on one thing and like visualize how this skill that you're practicing will work in a game or something like that and really, really focus on it. And then you can like it's worth five times like a normal training session like it's really important to just stay switch, switched on and, and really focus in those trainings and I think um, if I think what makes a good player I think the best players are smart like they understand where they are on the pitch and where their best pass is or their best option and I think some of the best players aren't particularly skillful or fast or anything like that but they just make really good decisions all the time um, and with the decision making I think like you have to have a certain amount of awareness so um, what we focus on a lot is just, uh, we call it pre-scanning, but just knowing where you are on the pitch, where your next pass is, um, where like a, if you're in trouble, where you can go to get out of trouble um, and that sort of thing. And the other thing I would say is just um, be really willing to learn all the time, I think. Like, uh, yeah, I think maybe if you're young and you're pretty good, often coaches will just kind of let you do your own thing instead of like really try and um, develop you because you're already good and, and they need attention elsewhere. But if you can try and get as much feedback as possible um, and then choose what you do with that feedback because not everything is going to be is going to work for you um, and not everything is going to be right even. But if you just have a willingness to learn and then decide whether this is helpful or not helpful and then work on it, then I think that that also makes a, a good player and a good teammate as well. Okay, perfect. Um, then we go to the next question. Um, have you ever found yourself at your level that the coach's tactics are not working and you had to take it amongst yourself as players to change a few things? Did it work? Did it not work? How did the coach react? Uh, maybe how did other people react? Maybe parents around the field? I don't have a case like in the national team because I think that you are there and you will generally do what the, what the coach says and we don't argue. Maybe you can speak about things you disagree, but I, uh, maybe when I was younger, no, I didn't, I didn't get involved in, in those things. So um, I, I don't have like an example or something to say about it. I think, um, yeah, as Carla said, when you get to the national team, I think the coach also trusts you to make um, good decisions and as a team. So they might give you four or five different ways to play that we've trained. And then depending on what's happening in the game, even though the coach might say, yeah, we're going to start with plan A, if it's not working, he probably trusts us to recognize that it's not working. And without saying anything, we'll just go to plan B. And it's not like we're not doing what the coach says. It's more the coach has already given us the tools to make the decisions ourselves, if that makes sense. Um, but also like sometimes coaching is about um, like in Australia, we play quite a team oriented game and there might be general rules. So if it's like a one versus two, maybe try and find a better option or if there are too many people ahead, reset, recycle and go out the other side. But also I think most coaches like to see people play with their individual flair. So every so often you might take a risk. Um, and I think the best thing about our coaches or my coach in Australia is that he trusts you to make those decisions again individually, even though he might have said another time, like in this situation, consider not running the ball, pass it out and go around. Every so often, like I think he, he trusts us to 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 back ourselves in those situations as well. So, um, yeah, I don't, like Carla, I don't really have any example of uh, of just, like, forgetting what the coach said and, and doing, like, a mutiny boycott 
sort of event that doesn't really happen. Do you have any pre-match rituals um, before a game or any sort of things that you do to help you get focused? So, Carla, do you have any? And if they are, what are they? It's not, nothing. I, it's, I don't have like nothing, but I like before the game to be like quiet or nice. When we... When we used to, when I played in the national team, we used to go on the bus to the matches. We always go music and singing. And then when we get when we get to the stadium, we we had a ritual that we off the bus, the song. So we made the bus the bus move. And yeah, it's, it's funny because they always put it everywhere. The bus move. Some uh, some they don't like that we move the bus. They drive the bus, the driver. So but it's funny. It's like a ritual we always had there. But then I don't have nothing. Or I don't do anything like the same all the time. I just want like to be a bit relaxed before and concentrate and match. Yeah, for me, I don't. I'm I'm the same. I wouldn't have anything like some guys have. Um, like one of our, yeah. <laughs> some people like would warm up without shoelaces on their shoes or something like that. Like things like that. That's not really. Um, yeah, I don't do that. But what I do do is just make sure that I'm quite relaxed before a game. Um, I mean realistically you probably should already have like done the work I think like the week before or whatever training that's when you can kind of like um, yeah put pressure on yourself to work hard and train hard and that sort of thing but once you get to game day I think it's more about um, up here so just for me that's just like being super relaxed know that I've done everything I can and then just go into the game with a nice relaxed attitude other guys really like to fire up and be really like pumped up before a game um but yeah, I, I wouldn't have a ritual. Maybe if it's um, a later game, like a night game, I'll try and get a sleep in just because um, it's easy to start thinking about the game if you have the whole day to think about it. So I like just distracting myself, staying relaxed and, and asleep if it's if it's too far away. Great. If there is anything from the audience um, they would like to, um, to share their ritual, you can always put it in the chat or raise your hand, ask you to come on stage and, and share it. Um, and we go to the next question is uh, what do you guys do to calm your butterflies while you're uh, competing against a high level team? Carla, if you want to start. Um, when I am, um, I think that that moment, uh, so it always happens like in the moment you are going to win the national anthem. And I think that's the, the moment you feel that. But for me, it's like, it's a nice moment. I really enjoyed that moment, but it's really nice. I really like it. And then after that, when the whistle blows and the match starts, it's away and I'm focused on the match. I'm playing, so I think that's what I do. And everything disappears in that moment. For me, I think um, I think they're pretty normal. Some games I wouldn't get them. I'm not sure why or, or why not. Um, usually, like, early in the tournament, um, maybe the first game of a tournament, you might you might get them because like you're you're nervous and excited about how it's going to go. But once the tournament's kind of started, um, then it's a bit easier to just kind of focus on on my job. I think sometimes as well, like depending on how mentally you prepare for a game, like there might be other things at school or or something else going on in your life, and um, like a little bit of stress there can can pass over into into your hockey. Um, I think that's kind of like a, and you get the butterflies. I think sometimes, like I used to get really kind of frustrated with it, like, oh, I just wish I could play, like I didn't want to worry about these things. But um, I think once I kind of understood that, that it's quite normal and also um, it's actually a good opportunity to to test yourself, you know, like um, it's easy to, to play hockey when you feel good and life's great, but um, it's more difficult to 
to play really good hockey when other things are happening or, or you're nervous or something like that. And I think if you can prove to yourself that it doesn't really matter whether you're nervous or not nervous and you can still perform, I think that's something that's quite powerful um, and can be a nice little challenge for yourself. Like, yeah, even though I feel really nervous, how cool would it be if I could play really great and just kind of let that go? And I think every time you, you do that, you get a bit more confident being able to deal with the butterflies and, um, and still, still play well. Fabulous. So the next question is um, based around, um, so how do you think you can train younger players? Um, and so it, I'm going to kind of link two questions together here. So what is your advice then for younger players to professionals? Um, so Carla, how do we get better at decision making and become a 16 year international like you? I think that uh, you improve your making with training and with years. It's something you are getting your experience and when you have a pass for more situations and then you are learning. And I think you you always have to be open to learn and correct your if you are open for learning it's it's easier also because you can you can do it maybe faster. But I think it takes time because it's part of, of your development as a player also. So to be also patient if you are young and because it happens to me, it still happens to me that I make wrong decisions. So it's part of, it's, it's impossible to do everything perfect. But I think it's something the years and, and with the training, with training and having those experience. Yeah, I would say actually exactly the same as Carla. Um, it's funny, you still see like the young players come on and um, they're all kind of the same. Like they're obviously different, but they make like young mistakes which are basically just like the wrong decision like they think they can do something or they think it's the best thing to do and it's usually just like maybe they're too excited or something like that and it's very um those sorts of things you start to kind of grow out of just because you've done it so many times and once you're a bit older um, and as Carl says like I'm not really sure you can teach that it's more just um experience but yeah also she says like I think you can maybe speed it up a bit by thinking or by watching video or something like that you can learn a little bit faster um yeah i think and also just encouraging maybe your your um young player just to think about these things and try and understand why that decision was right or wrong or how they might do it differently but i think it's more just like thinking about the decisions and the more you play the more you're going to do that anyway so okay is it something you guys do during the half time like you're playing a game the coach says decision making this wasn't good this was not a good decision this was a good decision is that something that happens during the half time um, on a top level game or sorry i, I didn't hear well the, the question uh, no worries um is that something that happens during the half time um if the coach says yeah this decision was a good one this wasn't a, a good one to change it Or not? Yeah, I think yes. It's, uh, there are some corrections in the half time, and okay, here I think have done this or this, or this was good. Uh, yeah, I think in the half time they, they speak like more generally, but uh, maybe then it's very big. This, this no, this yes, yeah, it's a good moment. Yeah, I think um, sometimes the best advice coaches give, uh, like in big games, just to maybe relax a little bit because sometimes decision making. Poor decisions come off um, being too like stressed or too fired up, or you try and do things too quickly, um, as opposed to just kind of like relaxing and, and making the right decision. So, yeah, sometimes the best advice um, that coaches give is just to take a little bit more time, or um, yeah, go back to your basics or something like that. Okay, on to goalkeeping, maybe 
neither of your speciality, but we'll, we'll take your opinion on it. Um, so I'm a goalkeeper and I don't have the experience that the other 10 players have. Um, you will definitely have other experience though, so don't knock yourself. Um, what do you think about your team's goalkeeper when he missed an easy goal that he blocked? Oh, they make a mistake. We all do. It's humans. What do you think? Um, and more importantly, how do you help them pick themselves? I, I think it's really important always to be positive and help, help everyone in your there. You're them all to uh, good for playing, good for match. So it's good always to to help them and say nice words when you are positive and criticize because we all make mistakes we are not perfect and always it can happen to us to make a big mistake or whatever so it's important to help and to be positive yeah i definitely agree i think um the difficult thing like goalkeeper is such a hard position because you might only get one touch a game or um i think for us it's kind of easy because if we make a mistake the best thing that helps forget that mistake is just to go and get the ball again, you know, or do something, communicate something like that. Whereas keeper, it's like you might make a mistake in the first minute and then don't touch the ball for the rest of the game and then maybe you touch it in the last minute, you know, and you have to kind of move on from that first mistake. So it's a bit more difficult. Um, But I know what our keepers focus on is just communicating. So if they um, did make a mistake or something like that, A, it really helps for us to, as Carla said, get around them and be positive and say like, yeah, it's okay. But then also it's their job to make sure that they're mentally right for the next thing. So how they do that is they talk to the people in front of them, they organise defence, they do those sorts of things because you never know when you're going to be needed, I think. Okay, thank you very much. Um, We're already 45 minutes in, so that means we have to end this session, unfortunately. Thank you very much to the both of you to, um, to be here. Uh, having all the questions and all the answers um, hope to see you next time thanks everyone thanks everyone and that was nice to be here